This is Terms of Reference. I'm your host, Stephen Laddick. Kathleen Cronin is the Executive Director of Earthlinks in Denver, Colorado. Earthlinks provides a work program for people who are homeless and low income to learn skills and create earth-friendly products that sustain the people and the planet. Cass has extensive experience working with Denver's nonprofit community, specifically organizations serving homeless and low-income populations, both as a volunteer and in various leadership roles. Cass has also practiced law for more than 30 years in Colorado. I spoke with Cass in Denver. Cass, thank you very much for being on the show with us. I'm, I'm excited to have you with us. Let me, let me start with this. We'd like to first learn about how you got to where you are. So how did you find your way to becoming uh, the executive director of Earthlinks? I know that you started your career as an attorney, but how did you end up here? Well, I think through my education and my regular life, my non-professional life, I've always had an interest in social justice issues and done a lot of volunteer work, did a lot of volunteer work in around homelessness issues in um, in my community, which is in Denver, Colorado. And um, as an attorney, I also practiced in small firms or just on my own, so I didn't really have to work through large hierarchical structures. As having that opportunity, I also had a lot of opportunity to work with people that didn't have a lot of funds to um, hire me. And so I think that just through all of those different things, that kind of led me to an interest in the nonprofit sector um, in terms of moving on to that as a professional. Also, it helped to open up that uh, opportunity as I had become pretty disaffected with the ability of the law to solve problems for people that were going through stresses. And so with when our son uh, committed suicide at age 19, that actually opened up an opportunity for me to think about things a little differently and help to free up my decision-making and help me to move on towards the nonprofit sector. So I started as a, uh, had the privilege of operating as the executive director of another nonprofit that works with homelessness here in Denver and was there for about three years and left there in 2009 and have been with Earthlinks, um, uh, who also works with the homeless population ever since. Can you can you tell me just real briefly what exactly does Earthlinks deliver in the Denver area? Um, we're a small nonprofit. We've actually been around for 17 years. We have very few people that seem to know of us, but except within the community of um, homelessness providers, we're small employers of homeless individuals, um, either people that have been homeless recently or are currently on the street. And when I say small, I mean small. We only pay people about $600 a year, and they work in our garden and work in creative work creating uh, products, which we then sell to the public, which helps to uh, provide support for um, for our agency and also to help support the earnings um, that we pay to our participants. We find that about we have a very high success rate with with uh, the community we build um, amongst our folks, and about 80% either stabilize or remain in stable housing during the time that they're with us. We also are unique because. We don't require anyone to leave our program unless they simply stop following the rules, which are pretty minimal, but um, Mm -hmm. the rules are that you show up and that you're appropriate and you participate and you help to form community. And if you don't, if you can't do those things, then then you would leave, but most people leave voluntarily because they find that maybe too difficult. But we have uh, about 50 people at a time within our workshops, and uh, we have a dual purpose. So not only are we working on forming community amongst our people and um, being small employers of them, we also are working at the same time on Sustaining Earth, which is our 
our common theme. Um, it's what keeps us all going. So um, the items we produce are things that are either good for Earth or made of recycled products um, so that we try to keep uh, sustainability both for individuals as well as for Earth. That's fantastic. It, you know, it sounds like you're for, you're filling a need. It sounds like you are doing it not only in a socially responsible way, but this is a, a true social enterprise. Seventeen years. Why do you have the sense as the executive director that not too many people know about you? Oh, we have that sense because we're constantly asked, "Who are you, and what do you do?" <laughs> so that's how we know. All right. Um, that's how we find that out. Um, and also, just in terms of our, our the biggest the the biggest groups that know about us are churches or places where we might sell our products. And those are usually either um, street fairs, that kind of thing, or most often they're alternative gift fairs that very often churches will run. How do you think, you know, your, your sale is really to donors, right? But you also have a second sale in that you're creating products that you want to sell. How do you put both of those, those hats on? How does that, you know, how does that, work in your organization? Well, actually, the products are often a good um, introduction, if you will, to what we're doing, and it gives us an opportunity to talk about the people behind our products, if you will. You know, any of us can go and buy um, uh, an inexpensive item that's very pretty and, and, and perhaps very nicely made. Uh, we always pick on China because that seems to be a good one to pick on these days. But we can do that because mass production is so um, cheap. And our everything that we do, even though we might pay very little, we actually do pay for labor. And um, we, have, we value um, our labor. We value the people that have created it and worked with us and planted the seeds and grown them and pressed them and picked them and done all of these wonderful creative processes to come with a product, which might be a votive holder or it could be a bar of soap. So these items then um, gives us an opportunity to talk to people one-on-one about what we do, who we serve, who helps to create these things. And so that, in a way, helps us to, to hopefully move from just being the salesperson of an item to a conversation about a community and um, potentially donations. So um, in, in a way, that works for us. Um, hmm. From the donation side, of course, the, the sale is sometimes more difficult because there's so many people who are all doing wonderful work and looking for donations often from the same groups. And so it's sometimes difficult for people that are used to giving a straight donation, expecting that you're going to serve uh, 10 meals a day or something with this uh, $5 donation to understand that actually what we're doing is we're trying to build a community where both sides of the equation, uh, it's not always just the other and us, it's all of us together are working towards a common goal. That's interesting. Do you, do the do the beneficiaries of Earthlings also do the selling or is that part of your paid staff? Uh, the selling actually is done primarily by volunteers. So we mm. have about 200 volunteers for our organization. And just like every other nonprofit will tell you, we can't survive without our volunteers. However, our participants, um, and we don't call them beneficiaries or um, clients. Um, sure, sure, participants. participants they're yeah. active mm-hmm. participants in our organization. They do um, assist with selling, but it's, uh, it's at their comfort level. In other words, when we sell things at our property or our premises, it's much easier for our participants to participate because, A, they can get there, 
and B, they have a sense of um, it belonging to them and taking ownership of it. When we go to other locations, it can be difficult for people to get there, um, especially during the hours that we might be having a sale in the evening or um, on the weekends when we don't have as good of public transportation available. And the other piece of it is sometimes there's a bit of embarrassment attached. Um, participants might not want to explain that they are or were homeless because actually when you look at people in our program, you might not know that. Um, they look just like anyone else might look on the street. So um, because our society in the first world looks at homelessness as somehow being fault-driven, um, I think people are often um, shy about expressing um, that they might be the artist involved in creating a particular item. So we do have some of our participants do the selling and others uh, decline. It's not a requirement that they have to do that to be part of our community. Mm. Sort of as an aside, have you noticed that your participants have increased over the last three or four years? Well, we are maxed out at 50 at any given time due to our size, our physical size, and our funding and staffing abilities. So that stayed relatively constant. Um, we've served uh, somewhere around 70 people a year for the last several years because there is turnover. However, we have noticed a much larger increase in people requesting to get into the program. So we would, you know, we would easily turn away um, 100 to 200 people this year alone that will be asking to be served. We just don't have room for. Interesting. A, a common conversation is NGOs really need to be run more like a business. What are, do, you, do you have thoughts on that? Have you received that argument from you know, either donors or, uh, or other individuals you've worked with? Oh, certainly, yes. It's, it's actually a common theme. You read about it all the time. I mean, I can't go on to LinkedIn, which I can barely do um, competently anyway, but, uh, but it, without seeing some kind of a comment about how uh, nonprofits need to be run more like businesses, and we can learn a lot from that sector, Yet nonprofits are really held to a much higher standard, I think, than general business. Business's normal job um, is to make a profit for their shareholders. Well, they're really counted not on what good they've done in the community or what problem they've solved. They're, they are judged based on what, what dividend they've paid um, or how much their stock is currently worth. Nonprofits have a much different challenge. I mean, they're, uh, most nonprofits are looking to, to handle some of society's ills that perhaps we've created because of our business model. And so uh, we're supposed to be acting like a business and somehow have a return on investment, which I guess is curing an illness or having a person that's uh, homeless now be, and I love this one, a productive member of society as opposed to just mm. a drain on society. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think that that's just the wrong conversation. The conversation is that we are all in this together. We are all one species. We're all in the earth together. We're this one little tiny piece of the cosmos, and we can't be looking at, at um, making the other versus me all the time the conversation. We are in community, and we need to figure out how we're going to live in community. And if we don't figure that out, we are really going to be the end of our species. So I'm kind of going off here on a tangent. But I love it. In, That's great. But in terms of, in terms of you know, how, how uh, nonprofits are judged, we're judged on what our outcomes, this is the new, uh, well, to me, fairly new conversation, what our outcomes are, which are not our outputs, meaning it doesn't matter that we've had 70 people at Earthlinks that we've paid during the year 
what matters is um, how many of those people are now fully employed? Well, I can tell you that there's probably one. Now, why would there only be one? Because most people that are in this situation come with a variety of challenges. And it's not one challenge that's going to solve it. It's not just education. I have MBAs sitting in my workshop during the week. Mm -hmm. It's not um, necessarily just health, although that is often, physical health is often a piece. There's the mental health challenges, which is universal. Everyone that's been in our program has suffered some sort of trauma. We We respond to that in different ways. Um, some of us close ourselves off, some of us reach out, some of us can move on. But many of us that have that ability to be resilient have people behind us that are standing there and, and uh, backing us up, uh, people to rely on. If you don't have supportive community, you can't move forward, much less as, as the American society always likes to talk about it, moving upward. I don't know where we're moving upward to because we're all going to die, but um, we're, but we're somehow moving <laughs> upward as opposed to moving together towards a common goal. Maybe that's a justice. Maybe that's food for everyone. Maybe it's clean water. Maybe it's having a place to stay at night. You know, there's a myriad of problems, and it doesn't help to be picking things apart and not um, as as being um, the and Rand kind of idea of I'm self-made. Mm. So, um, I mean, really, we rely on each other constantly. And if we think we don't, we're, we're out of our minds. But back to the how should we be looked at, the qualitative outcomes are not really what business is tested on. So we're supposed to operate as a business yet have outcomes that are not um, tested in the business model. So I, I guess I resent that, yet I agree that we do want to be moving forward at least with towards whatever our goal what might be, which is usually um, in our in Earthlink's situation is forming community and being supportive and understanding that each of us brings something to the whole. Take take me to the next level of the community conversation. I can I think it'd be easy for people listening to this to understand local community within the Denver area. How far does that community stretch in your mind? Is it Are you really focusing on sort of the immediate area around where Earthlinks is located, or does it go further? How, how far does your message reach? How, where do the ripples go? Well, we never know how far the ripples go um, in reality. We specifically work fairly locally. So we're working on trying to find a sense of community among people that are very disenfranchised from so many Things. I mean, I hate to overuse words, but people that come to to Earthlinks very often start from a, pos, a position of, of not feeling worthy of anything. Uh, I know that's hard for those of us who have lived lives of privilege to understand, but but really not seeing themselves as even having the value of being housed or having the value of being able to do something creative or um, understanding connection to earth or gardening or worms or bats or cats or whatever we might have going at that time. So the process for us is really we we work on um, communicating and we pay for this time. We work for a reflection. Usually it's a thoughtful comment or a poem or some ideas. And we discuss those before we start our day. And our day is only a few hours long because often we don't folks that are with us maybe the attention span may not be able to go longer than that and um, even with that sometimes there's a necessity of breaks so um, we try to find something that every single person in our community can do and feel good about 
we have one young man who works with us who is um, who cannot sit through two hours or sit still at all, really. And so, but he is excellent working in our compost. And so he's moving compost and knows exactly how to keep it maintained. And that is really what he brings to our community. So he's valued for his contribution. Mm-hmm. And then the way we try to include that, besides just our little story on our products and hoping people will buy them and give them as gifts, is that we also um, invite our local community in for conversation once um, a month. It's usually some educational piece um, around oh, urban homesteading or some or sustainability issue like climate change or how to raise chickens and goats in the city or any of these kinds of conversations. And um, it's an opportunity for people to meet our participant community on an equal level. And um, sometimes even our participant community may be teaching one of those courses. So um, it's just kind of a great equalizer to see that we are really all part of the whole. We often talk about success. That's something that we're really good, to, you know, we're, we're trained to, 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 to talk about as we sell ourselves to the world, as we think about resumes, these kinds of things. And one of the most important interview questions that anybody faces is, when have you failed? And how did you recover from it? Is there a time when you've you've failed as the director of Versalinks? And if that's true, how how did you recover from it? Or how would you recover from it when that when that happens? I'm I'm sure I fail pretty much every day <laughs> as the director of Versalinks. <laughs> I'm sure that there are many things that could be done uh better or um more compassionately on a regular basis. Um so yes, I think that's that's very true. Um, I can think of a few small, in, uh, I guess what might feel small, but are instances that I know I failed by just not um, being aware of what was happening and responding from a business point of view instead of uh, responding as I should have. So, um, for example, we have um, people that do all kinds of different things in our workshop. Nothing is the same every day, and, and each individual could be working on a different project at the same time. And so one of our projects has been um, jewelry. We've created some jewelry out of gourds, which is a gourd is sort of like a squash um, that um, we grow and then dry for a year and then go through this horrible process of cleaning it out and Mm. um, letting it mold and and then trying to create it into some sort of decorative item. And so we thought that perhaps gourd jewelry, because it's very lightweight for ladies, they would like that for earrings. And so we have a wonderful creative person um, in our community and she loves to work on the jewelry. However, the jewelry hasn't been selling. So I had mentioned to our program staff that, you know, we really needed to not be working on jewelry anymore because we don't need to build up that inventory because we're not selling. Nice business point of view there. Mm-hmm. And um, so we should really be working on something else that we can figure out that will sell. And sometimes that's a movable thing. But so I, I was kind of, grumping about not having the numbers, you know, sales are down. I walked through the (laughs) workshop and trust me, I mean, we're in a 2000 square foot place and half of it's the workshop and I'm in a closet and everybody else is in one big room as a, as a, as an office and store and storage and woodworking shop. It's pretty challenging anyway. But I, so I walked through the, the workshop and I see this woman who's really delightful and she's working on this jewelry. And so, of course, instead of doing what I should have done, which was to go ask what was going on, I stopped at the table. I said, hey, this isn't selling. We've got to stop doing this. <laughs> and, uh, you know, 
we're not doing this anymore. And so, you know, she's like appalled and upset and walks out and has that cigarette. <laughs> you know, probably didn't come back for two weeks, but fortunately did. She actually now serves on our board. But but anyway, um, you know, the, the it was it was very hurtful because this was very much something she was creating and, and working on um and and meant a lot to her and I come out with a the wrong the absolute wrong uh way of approaching it and um hurt her feelings. So how did I uh, respond to that. I just um, said I was sorry. You mentioned several times about how important your volunteer community is. Have Do you have any stories or any insights into how those people have evolved or changed your volunteers as they've worked with your participants or as they've worked in this area? Um, I think for some, um, there's some really interesting positive um, changes and for others, there have been the fact that they were there and, and having the conversation really made no difference. So, um, yes, we do have some stories of folks that have come and, and are very surprised usually that, you know, there's a lot of fear. Um, there's always a lot of fear in dealing with someone, and we're going to call them someone that doesn't have the same privileges the next person. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we call them at risk or someone. sometimes it's someone that's ill or whatever. There's fear about that, and I think some of that is that we're afraid we're going to catch it. You know, we're going to, what does that mean, or are they really crazy, or, you know, is something going to happen to me? And once you have the personal connection with an individual that's um, in that situation, um, yeah, maybe sometimes it's been bad decisions, you know, yeah, maybe not. You know, I've made a lot of bad decisions, but I've managed to recover from them because I've got a lot of support behind me and a lot of good luck. Um, others mm-hmm. don't have those same opportunities. So I think once a volunteer has the opportunity to come in and understand that, you know, this is this could be my grandmother, you know, or this mm. could be my Uncle Pete. It just doesn't happen to be. Or this could be me. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think um, it shifts the perception, and then we start looking at each other as equal. And not this, not as um, different. But we certainly have had people that have wanted to come in. There's a, you know, there's a lot of interest in working with Earth and and with the garden. And so we've had wonderful volunteers that have come and helped us in tremendous ways with the garden in terms of taking care of it and and just basic weeding and all of those kinds of things. Um, and who may never really quite get to that conversation with our participants. And so they have this relationship with the garden but they don't have the relationship with the people. And so, you know, we'll even get the conversation, well, well, do any of these people ever move on? And it's like, well, we're all sort of all here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, move on to where? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not a place to move on to. So what what do you want that to look like? And um, so, so we've had both sides of that. Our volunteer community that sells our products are amazing. Unfortunately, many of them don't have the opportunity to come into our, our place of business because they're volunteering for us on the weekends and they're working. Mm. But um, many do, and um, once they're hooked, they're hooked. So that's a nice thing for us. Absolutely. Last question. From your experience either at Earthlinks or, or in, other, you know, in, in your other nonprofit endeavors, what's, you know, what's that piece of advice that you'd give about how to, you know, how to create this empathy, how to create you know, this worldview where we are all a part of this community? Or is well, that possible? First, uh, oh, sure, I can talk forever. It doesn't mean it means anything. Um, first of all, I think the first lesson I would always say is to keep your mouth shut, <laughs> to listen and learn. Um, 
to, to try to learn from the others that have been there before you and have a sense of what's what's worked and what hasn't worked, um, but not to put aside your very possible and probable great ideas. Um, but I do think it's helpful to listen and learn first. In terms of managing, which is a word I don't really like, but working um, hopefully collaboratively among the team of folks that you are working with, um, I think it's wonderful to be able to open up things and have conversation around um, problems and, and, and possible solutions. When I first came to Earthlinks, um, I was amazed at how important the process of coming to a decision was as opposed to coming to a decision because I have a big J in my um, in my personality which stands for judgmental mm. and so um, so I was sort of like can't we just get to a resolution here can't we just get to a solution and sometimes the process would go on for um, many weeks of trying to come to a solution over what I would from the outside be thinking this is not a big deal just make this call and let's move on and I've since come to value uh, the process. So I do think sometimes that the consensual process, the con coming to consensus and collaboration, may be more important um, for us long-term than coming to the decision. And that may not cross over well to people that are under um, sales goals and uh, requirements from someone above them telling them that they have to produce. Um, so that may not be something that's helpful. But in terms of lifetime skills, I do think that um, understanding a process or creating a process where everyone can be heard and valued and um, not dismissed is crucial. That is fantastic. Thank you so very much for being a part of the show today. It's, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you, Stephen. You've been listening to Terms of Reference, a weekly podcast from aidpreneur.com. Find us on iTunes or at www.aidpreneur.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.